According to the 1909 book, Passing English of the Victorian Era, sausages were referred to as bags o' mystery. This episode is presented by Away Travel. Quite simply, Away makes everything you need for a trip away. Away from the estate. Away from the ceaseless moans of the creatures in the basement. Away from the... well, surely not the library, but you know what I mean. Start with the perfect suitcase, which in my case is a darling little cat carrier the color of the Atlantic coast. History Obscura is teaming up with Away and Podgo to give you the best deal on premium luggage by going to podgo.co forward slash away. That's p-o-d-g-o dot c-o forward slash a-w-a-y. Welcome back to the History Obscura Reading Room. This week, we'll be delving back into Ten Days in the Madhouse by Nellie Bly. Chapter 7 The Goal in Sight At six o'clock on Sunday morning, September 25th, the nurses pulled the covering from my bed. Come, it's time for you to get out of bed, they said, and opened the window and let in the cold breeze. My clothing was then returned to me. After dressing, I was shown to a washstand where all the other patients were trying to rid their faces of all traces of sleep. At seven o'clock, we were given some horrible mess, which Mary told us was chicken broth. The cold, from which we had suffered enough the day previous, was bitter, and when I complained to the nurse, she said it was one of the rules of the institution not to turn on the heat until October, and so we would have to endure it as the steam pipes had not even been put in order. The night nurses then, arming themselves with scissors, began to play manicure on the patients. They cut my nails to the quick, and they did of several of the other patients. Shortly after this, a handsome young doctor made his appearance, and I was conducted into the sitting room. Who are you? he asked. Nellie Marino, I replied. Then why did you give the name of Brown? He asked. What is wrong with you? Nothing. I did not want to come here, but they brought me. I want to go away. Won't you let me out? If I take you out, will you stay with me? Won't you run away from me when you get on the street? I can't promise that I will not. I answered with a smile and a sigh, for he was handsome. He asked me many other questions. Did I ever see faces on the wall? Did I ever hear voices around? I answered him to the best of my ability. Do you ever hear voices at night? He asked. 
Oh, yes. There's so much talking, I cannot sleep. I thought so, he said to himself. Then, turning to me, he asked, What do these voices say? Well, I do not listen to them anyways, but sometimes, very often, they talk about Nellie Brown, and then on other subjects that do not interest me half as much, I answered, truthfully. That will do, he said to Miss Scott, who was just on the outside. Can I go away? I asked. Yes, he said, with a satisfied laugh. We'll soon send you away. It is so very cold here, I want to go out. That's true, he said to Miss Scott. The cold is almost unbearable in here, and you will have some cases of pneumonia if you're not careful. With this, I was led away, and another patient was taken in. I sat right outside the door and waited to hear how he would test the sanity of the other patients. With little variation, the examination was exactly the same as mine. All the patients were asked if they saw faces on the wall, heard voices, and what they said. I might also add, each patient denied any such peculiar freaks of sight and hearing. At ten o'clock, we were given a cup of unsalted beef tea. At noon, a bit of cold meat and a potato. At three o'clock, a cup of oatmeal gruel. And at five-thirty, a cup of tea and a slice of unbuttered bread. We were all cold and hungry. After the physician left, we were given shawls and told to walk up and down the halls in order to get warm. During the day, the pavilion was visited by a number of people who were curious to see the crazy girl from Cuba. I kept my head covered on the plea of being cold, for fear some of the reporters would recognize me. Some of the visitors were apparently in search of a missing girl, for I was made to take down the shawl repeatedly, and after they looked at me they would say, I don't know her, or she's not the one for which I was secretly thankful. Warden O'Rourke visited me and tried his arts on an examination. Then he brought some well-dressed women and some gentlemen at different times to have a glance at the mysterious Nellie Brown. The reporters were the most troublesome. Such a number of them. And they were all so bright and clever that I was terribly frightened lest they should see that I was sane. These were very kind and nice to me, and very gentle in all their questionings. My late visitor, the night previous, came to the window while some reporters were interviewing me in the sitting room, and told the nurse to allow them to see me, as they would be of assistance in finding some clue as to my identity. In the afternoon, Dr. Field came and examined me. He asked me only a few questions and one that had no bearing on such case. The chief question was of my home and friends, and if I had many lovers or had ever been married. Then he made me stretch out my arms and move my fingers, which I did without the least hesitation, yet I heard him say my case was hopeless. The other patients were asked the same questions. 
As the doctor was about to leave the pavilion, Miss Tilly Mayard discovered that she was in an insane ward. She went to Dr. Field and asked him why she had been sent there. Have you just found out you're in an insane asylum? asked the doctor. Yes. My friends said they were sending me to a convalescent ward to be treated for nervous debility, for which I am suffering since my illness. I want to get out of this place immediately. Well, you won't get out in a hurry, he said with a quick laugh. If you know anything at all, she responded, you should be able to tell that I am perfectly sane. Why don't you test me? We know all we want to know on that score, said the doctor, and he left the poor girl condemned to an insane asylum, probably for life, without giving her one feeble chance to prove her sanity. Sunday night was but a repetition of Saturday. All night long, we were kept awake by the talk of the nurses and their heavy walking through the uncarpeted halls. On Monday morning, we were told that we should be taken away at 1.30. The nurses questioned me unceasingly about my home, and all seemed to have an idea that I had a lover who had cast me forth on the world and wrecked my brain. The morning brought many reporters. How untiring they are in their efforts to get something new. Miss Scott refused to allow me to be seen, however, and for this I was thankful. Had they been given free access to me, I should probably not have been a mystery long, for many of them knew me by sight. Warden O'Rourke came for a final visit and had a short conversation with me. He wrote his name in my notebook, saying to the nurse that I would forget all about it in an hour. I smiled and thought I wasn't sure of that. Other people called to see me, but none knew me or could give any information about me. Noon came. I grew nervous as the time approached to leave for the island. I dreaded every new arrival, fearful that my secret would be discovered at the last moment. Then I was given a shawl and my hat and gloves. I could hardly put them on, my nerves were so unstrung. At last, the attendant arrived, and I bade goodbye to Mary as I slipped a few pennies into her hand. "'God bless you,' she said. "'I shall pray for you. Cheer up, dearie. You are young and will get over this.' I told her I hoped so, and then I said goodbye to Miss Scott in Spanish. The rough-looking attendant twisted his arms around mine, and half-led, half-dragged me to an ambulance. A crowd of the students had assembled, and they watched us curiously. I put the shawl over my face and sank, thankfully, into the wagon. Miss Neville, Miss Mayard, Mrs. Fox, and Mrs. Shans were all put in after me, one at a time. A man got in with us. The doors were locked and we were driven out of the gates, in great style, on toward the insane asylum, and victory. The patients made no move to escape. The odor of the male attendant's breath was enough to make one's head swim. When we reached the wharf, 
such a mob of people crowded around the wagon that the police were called to put them away so that we could reach the boat. I was the last of the procession. I was escorted down the plank, the fresh breeze blowing the attendant's whiskey breath into my face until I staggered. I was taken into a dirty cabin where I found my companion seated on a narrow bench. The small windows were closed, and with the smell of the filthy room, the air was stifling. At one end of the cabin was a small bunk in such a condition that I had to hold my nose when I went near it. A sick girl was put on it. An old woman with an enormous bonnet and a dirty basket filled with chunks of bread and bits of scrap meat completed our company. The door was guarded by two female attendants. One was clad in a dress made of bed ticking and the other was dressed with some attempt at style. They were coarse, massive women, and expectorated tobacco juice about on the floor with more skill than charm. One of these fearful creatures seemed to have much faith in the power of the glance on insane people, for when any of us would move or go to look out of the high window, she would say, sit down, and would lower her brows and glare in a way that was simply terrifying. While guarding the door, they talked with some men on the outside. They discussed the number of patients and then their own affairs in a manner neither edifying nor refined. The boat stopped, and the old woman and the sick girl were taken off. The rest of us were told to sit still. At the next stop, my companions were taken off, one at a time. I was last and it seemed to require a man and a woman to lead me up the plank to reach the shore. An ambulance was standing there, and in it were the other four patients. What is this place? I asked of the man who had his fingers sunk into the flesh of my arm. Blackwell's Island, an insane place where you'll never get out. With this, I was shoved into the ambulance, the springboard was put up, an officer and a mail carrier jumped up on behind, and I was swiftly driven to the insane asylum on Blackwell's Island. Thank you for listening. Please consider giving us a cup of tea via the link in the show notes or going to buymeacoffee.com and searching for History Obscura. Good night! Good night.